I'm so trying so hard to resist the temptation to say that was good. <laughs> so it was so good. God is so good. And when we come to a day like this, and it's Father's Day, and we expect our breakfast in bed and all those honors that uh, accrue to fathers, you did get your breakfast in bed, right? Today? I'm just kidding. We, uh, we come to this day, though, we think about that the, the heart and the foundation of all of this is, is really not those of us who are men and struggle forward in our manhood and in our fathering, but it is the heart of our Father, our Heavenly Father, as we've been talking about. And I love to read about that. I love to think about that because God wants male representatives on earth. God wants godly representatives on earth, representatives on earth that are men. And I want to prove that today by showing you this in the Bible in a message that I'm calling, What Does It Mean to Be a Man? What Does It Mean to Be a man. What does it mean to be a man? I was uh, speaking at a camp up north a couple of years ago, and I, I always take a bunch of books with me when I go to speak somewhere. And then in between talking with people and preaching, I read stuff. And this particular day, I was reading a book called Future Men. And it was a, a wonderful book. I went down on the dock, and I sat there dangling my feet in the water. I opened this book up, and I never got out of the introduction because it was such a powerful thing. In the introduction, Doug Wilson, the writer of the book, referred to a guy named Bill Mauser. And Bill Mauser, he said, Bill Mauser gave five aspects of biblical masculinity. Now, I had just gotten through reading the Wild at Heart book, and it has some interesting things in it about manhood and so forth. It was helpful to a degree. And yet this, um, these five things that, that Bill Mauser said were a part of biblical manhood, they just lit a fire in me because I could see they were directly true based on the Scripture and that they all worked together. And so as soon as I could, I called this man, Bill Mauser, on the phone, and I said to him, like he did Pastor Grafe one time, Hey, I love your stuff. Can I use it? I love your stuff. Can I use it? I, I, I did a Pastor Grafe one time, preach one of his messages. He sent it to me by email. I better not do that here. I may be found out, right? But anyway, I called Bill Mauser and he says, Ken, I'll tell you what I do if you're interested. He said, you can use that anytime you want to. I will send you the entire series on tape. And the guy sent me this like hours and hours and hours and hours of lecture on tape. Is that encouraging to you today? Uh, so what I'm going to give you is the uh, five. Five aspects of biblical masculinity and how God wants to work in the world. Now, in case you're a girl and you're here today and you're thinking, shall I just check out now? Let me try to capture your attention. There's something here for everybody. This message should be a great encouragement to men. Just to understand what the Bible says very clearly about what it means to be a man. And it ought to be a prayer list for wives because your husband aspires to these things and he falls short like we all do. And he needs you to help him be what he knows God wants him to be. So you can pray for him. This is not a, it's not a nagging list. It's a prayer list. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Didn't mean to upset you there. It's also a training curriculum for moms and for dads and for grandmas and grandpas because we all have these young men in our lives and it's a big, wonderful, frightening burden to think how on earth you turn boys to men. And this is a kind of a curriculum for grandmas and grandpas and moms and dads. If you're a young man here today, this would be a, a list for you kind of like of goals that you can aspire toward. And if you're a young lady, you can consider this sort of like a 
shopping list or something like that. You might want to look at this in that way. But what the first one I want you to see is in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, it says that men, God intends for men to take dominion in the earth. One way, the way Bill Mauser said this is a man is a Lord of the earth, small l, Lord of the earth. There's dominion that's given to a man. Listen to what the Bible says here. And you're going to see this is carried out throughout the Bible. And it's kind of reiterated in the New Testament and supercharged by the gospel. Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have, let man, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves upon the earth. Who is the Lord of the earth? Well, Jesus is the Lord of the earth. He's the creator king of the entire world. And yet he said, I'm creating men and I am sharing dominion with them. I'm helping them and I'm actually going to let them help me. We don't have time to do this today, but if you were to look in one of the beautiful nature psalms of the Bible, Psalm 8, you would see that's exactly what Psalm 8 says. Psalm 8, in the second part there, you know, when I consider the heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and stars that you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him? Who am I that you would come and help me? But then it says you've made him a little lower than the angels, crowned him with glory and honor. You put him in charge of a bunch of stuff where I just kind of went to a paraphrase of Psalm 8 right there. He's like, God is, has a dominion in the earth. He is the ruler king. He's the creator, ruler, king of all the earth. And yet, the way he works is, he shares dominion with men. He gives them men. So men have to see themselves as having a little piece of jurisdiction in the world. And that's kind of interesting because that is probably now solves one of the great mysteries of the family. Why is mother so obsessed in getting Junior to pick up his socks because that's junior's jurisdiction my dad came over to my house one day after i was married and normally he's very good about these kinds of things he kind of knows his place i'm on my own now you know and he doesn't lecture me he's a wonderful dad but he came over to my house and i opened the garage and i kind of apologized i'm like dad sorry but my garage is messy and my dad's like your garage is not messy it's like nuclear waste in there i mean it's terrible my garage was just packed full of stuff and, and my dad kind of slipped a little, and he was actually kind of upset with me. And he kind of almost angrily said, Ken, it only takes about 45 minutes a week to keep this thing like it ought to be. When you open this door and you neighbor, and he, he's never actually spoken to me like that as a married man before, but I really felt chastised. What's the deal about picking up your socks? What's the deal about why are dads so obsessed in teaching boys to change oil? I mean, what's the deal with that? It's because they intuitively sense that God has said, here's a chunk of the earth that you are in charge of. And when you're a kid, it's just like your room. It's like, pick up your socks. I was running a Christian ministry up in Flint. And the head of the ministry called me one day. And he was all excited about something that he was into. And he's like, Ken, you know what we're going to do? And he's borrowing from Hebrews. He says, we're going to teach young people to go and subdue kingdoms for God. I thought to myself, that is really big talk. I had just done room check. And the rooms were filthy. 
And I wanted to say to them, you know, before they subdue kingdoms, you might want to teach them to pick up their socks. Because if you can't pick up your socks, how can you subdue kingdoms for God? And this is really, it's kind of funny, but it's true. And that is that God has given to every man a bit of a jurisdiction that starts out very small. And God says, you are now responsible for this car. You're responsible for this room. You're responsible for these clothes that you have. And how you handle that jurisdiction, you may get a job. And how you handle that jurisdiction will depend, whether you get a bigger jurisdiction, will depend on how faithful you are in the one that you have. Because that's the way God works. He has dominion in the earth, and he shared that dominion with men. What's interesting to me is when you get to the New Testament, there is this spiritually supercharged way in which the dominion of God kind of just jets out in a beautiful way, and we call it the gospel. You see it expressed in the Great Commission. You have this dominion mandate here in Genesis. He's saying, here's the earth, and I want you to be over. That's why men are over things, and it particularly talks about animals here. And if you're a hunter, this is probably one of your favorite places in the Bible. We go, we get meat, we kill, we eat the meat. This is in the Bible. We're glad this is here. One guy, one guy saying back back there, that lonely voice back there. Man, this is true. God says, I mean, we are, y'all, man, if you're a vegetarian, that's, you're allowed to do that. But the Bible says you're allowed to eat meat, which is a good thing too. It says that, you know, and so we have dominion. It's not that we kill everything we have dominion over. You understand? (laughs) But we have dominion. We order it. And, and, we, and, we, and we, we exercise God's dominion over that. It's not our dominion, it's his. And he's sharing it with us. He's allowing us to be involved. But one of the most powerful ways then to exercise dominion would be to have babies. So you have children, and then you're like, you got little franchises out there. Like today, I got no kids with me today. I got no kids. They're all like out serving the Lord. I was finally feeling kind of sorry for myself. I'm driving back from Camp Barrett I spoke all week up there. It's two o'clock in the morning. I'm driving back into town. I'm thinking I'm alone on Father's Day here because I got one boy serving Jesus Christ in Wisconsin and one boy serving Jesus Christ in Indiana and girls who knows where somewhere in the mountains of Kentucky uh, serving the Lord and a couple of kids up at camp serving the Lord. I'm like, well, it could be worse. You know, it could be worse. Because we got these little franchises of people going out. And I pray that it will always be that way. These little franchises of going out. It's like one of the ways to exercise dominion is if God allows you to have children and teach them how to take a chunk of the earth and bring it into subjection to God as well. But the most powerful way is beyond that. And it is through the gospel. And that's why the Great Commission is an extension of this dominion mandate, I think. It's like, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Get people to surrender themselves to King Jesus and bow and fall at his face. That's what I've been speaking myself hoarse 12 times this week over trying to get little people to bow at Jesus' feet and to go get other people to bow at Jesus' feet because our king, he's so worthy. He's given us this dominion mandate and he's given us the gospel in order to do that. Kind of exciting when you think about it. So that's what a man is. A man is a lord of the earth. He is to exercise God's dominion in his jurisdiction. Second thing that a man is is found in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 15. Genesis 2 and verse 15 is where God gives man this responsibility to till and keep the garden. And God took, the Lord God took the man and he put him in the garden of Eden to tend and to keep it. Isn't that interesting? He put him in the garden of Eden and he said, it's your job to make stuff grow. So get the picture, put the jurisdiction together with the husbandman thing. That's the second thing a man is. A man is a Lord of the earth. 
and a man is a husbandman. In other words, even if you live in suburbia and you've got just a little tiny patch of ground, you're supposed to make stuff grow. Now, this may mean that you actually make stuff grow in the ground. But what what we're saying here is that God has given to man the responsibility and the opportunity and the ability to make life flourish in his dominion. If you think about this, it's a beautiful thought. A man has a little chunk of space that's his, and he's supposed to make life grow in that. He's supposed to make life flourish in that. And all kinds of life, not just physical life. That's back to the, um, what the Bible says, be fruitful and multiply. This is no small thing. It's important. And that, but it goes beyond that, and that is like it's one thing to bring a son into the world. It's, a, it's one thing to, to give a son life, and it's another thing to have a son who has eternal life, and it's another thing to have a son who has abundant life, and men have the wherewithal by the power of the Holy Spirit and the manliness that God has given them, the dominion that God has shared with them to go around and make life flourish in the places where they work and the places where they live. This is an awesome thing. It's like now I've got something to get out of bed for in the morning. I have a place where I work. Is there any life flourishing in the place where I work because I'm working there? I have a home where I live. Is any life flourishing in the place where I live because I'm living there? It's not just that you badger people into submission where you live. It's not that you just kind of beat them down and you're the man and you're like kind of the brute beast of the household. This will take some finesse. It'll take more than finesse. It'll take the fullness of the Holy Spirit of God in order to make life flourish. You have to kind of coax life out of the soil of your life. And it takes God's help. But you have that opportunity to do that. I read once about this family. that There was a picture in our local newspaper of a family sitting out on their back porch. And they were, there was a dad and his daughter. And they were eating this watermelon. And the, the news reporter had gone and taken a picture of this and said that the watermelon sprung up voluntarily. And the reason it had done that is because the last year they were eating watermelon on their back porch and spitting the seeds out like folks do. And the watermelon just kind of grew up on its own. A lot of us kind of think that's what parenting is like. It's like basically you do stuff that parents do and kids just kind of happen and and then they, they go out and live for God. But it's not like that. Men need to actually have vision. In order for life to flourish and for things to grow, men have to plan for things to grow. Men have to have a vision for things growing. For life, for eternal life, for abundant life. Men have to actually have a plan to make that happen with God's help. They are to be husbandmen. In a sense, it's like the wealthy farmer once, that when the people saw that his boys were working the fields, they said to him, why do you have your boys work the fields? I mean, you could obviously hire people to work the fields. And he says, it's because I'm not growing corn here. It's because I'm raising sons. It's a wonderful thing to see sons and daughters and the people within your jurisdiction come to life. Your wife ought to have more life because you are in her life. And if she doesn't, then that would be a reason for you just to humble yourself and seek out help from other men and throw yourself upon the Lord. And in other words, if she dies before you die, you ought to be able to walk by her casket and say, it was good for her that I was in this world. I gave my life to see to it that that woman could experience real life. That's what a man does. And you men that are here today may think, well, that's not fair. My wife is fighting me all the time. She, when I try to do something, my wife just kind of fights me off. Or I try to do something, my wife resists me. It's like, hello, that's what the Bible says in the book of Genesis is going to be like that. 
Don't be a baby and suck your thumb over that. It's like, suck it up. That's the way it works in life. Your wife is not going to immediately go, oh, you're so wonderful. Thank you for riding into my life on a white charger. What can I do to serve you? I mean, if you know anybody like that, let's clone them. But I just don't know people like that. It's not like that. And so the way, way it is, it's easier, ladies, you know, of course, to look across the aisle of somebody else and go, well, he looks like a good husband. Well, you, you don't live with him. You live with him, you know, and that's the way it is. And so you have to see that a man then, he, he has to fight off death while he's making life flourish. He has to, and that's what the third thing goes to. In Genesis chapter 3, you got trouble in paradise. Genesis chapter 3, trouble in paradise. And it's all over Genesis chapter 3. It obviously is the entrance of sin and it's the fall, is what we in theology call the fall of man. And the curse comes on the earth as a result of that. And a curse comes on relationships as a result of that. There is a devil and there is this matter of sin. And while you're exercising jurisdiction and dominion and you're trying to make life flourish within that, you're going to have an enemy. And that's where, uh, that's where Eldridge was strong on this and right about this. And that is that there's an enemy to face. And that is very, very true. And a man who can't conquer the enemy within himself is of no use to his wife. He's of no use to his kids. It's like a lot of men are spending their entire life kind of having little skirmishes with the devil and getting beat up and getting their nose bloodied regularly while he is eating their lunch at home, while he is taking what he wants from them and doing what he wants within their jurisdiction. It shouldn't be like that. Here's what it says in Genesis chapter 3. And verse uh, 14, so the Lord God said to the serpent, this was after the fall, because you've done this, a temptation of Eve, of course, you are cursed more than all the cattle, more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go. You shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head. You shall bruise his heel. The woman, to the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow in your conception and in pain you will bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, or you will have a desire to rule over your husband, and he shall rule over you. Then Adam said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife, then to Adam he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you should eat of it all the days of your life. With thorns and thistles it shall bring forth... In other words, what God is saying is, you've got trouble now. You have an enemy now. You're supposed to make life flourish within your dominion on cursed soil. So this should not surprise us, men. This is what God said. If you're a man, you're a lord of the earth. You have a jurisdiction. If you're a man, you're a husbandman. You're to make life flourish within your jurisdiction. If you're a man, you're a savior. You're a savior. God has given you that responsibility to go and rescue out of the effects of sin the people that are within your jurisdiction. And it's got to start with you. You can't wait till later to have victory over sin yourself. You've got to figure out how to come into victory so that you can pass that victory quickly onto your wife and to your kids and to the other people that you influence. You can't wait around for that. You don't have time for that. And there's a lot of this sentiment today like, well, I'm just struggling. Well, how long are we going to struggle and struggle and struggle? We're supposed to be conquerors. We're supposed to be victorious. There needs to be some victory. So we should humble ourselves. We're to oppose evil and we're to be spiritual protectors in our dominion. 
We realize that Satan, the evil one, he's come to steal and kill and destroy. We understand that. Real men understand that in their jurisdiction, the devil and demons and the effects of the fall are going to come in constantly working to turn the affections of the people that are there and our own affections against Christ. And so we are warriors. We must be dangerous in this. That's why Jesus said this. He said, if you're going to Bind the, if you're going to spoil the strong man's house, then you have to deal with the strong man first. But in modern Christianity, there just aren't that many strong men. And that's why the devil's just going in and he's taking whatever he wants. He's doing whatever he wants to do. May God give us men with steel in their backbones who will say, not in my house, not while I'm alive. I'm not saying they're men that are like bad. Again, they're not they're not angry men. They're not, they're not selfish men. But they are men who are dangerous to the enemy. Men who are dangerous to the enemy. Not just like evangelical kind of Mr. Rogers, kind of nice guys, kind of effeminate, kind of not really a danger to anybody. Yeah, dad's over there, but he's like a TV dad. He doesn't really count. He's not really, you know, a force with which to be reckoned. He's just kind of sitting over there, and he's kind of a foil for our humor. Where in the world do you go in our time and find anybody telling you with a clear eye what the Bible says a man is supposed to be? Men have kind of got it rough in our time. But they're to be saviors. So they're to be Lord of the earth and husbandmen and saviors. I, I, there's a, this is kind of a natural thing. And generally men pick this up in the natural and they drop the ball in the spiritual. When I was running the character in up there, we had a guy come in the, the, into the hotel one night that wasn't supposed to be there. And he got, of course, there are men and women in the hotel, and we just didn't really know what to do about that. We just knew that there was some guy who might be dangerous, kind of wandering around this 16-story hotel, and we had kind of a minimal security force, and I wasn't really sure what to do. And then it occurred to me, I know what I'll do. I'll page the floors, and I'll call all the men out to sweep the building. That was a really dumb idea, because they were too eager. I wish you could have seen it. It was kind of like the Bravehearts thing, you know. I, I, I made... <laughs> it was like the, the like the the Visigoths and the Huns showed up for dinner. I, I paged the floors and I said to the guys, "I need all the men to come. We have somebody in the building that doesn't belong here." And guys came. My goodness, guys with golf clubs, tennis rackets. One guy had a table leg. One guy had a broadsword. I'm like, where did you get it's this hurricane broadsword, you know? He's like standing there like that. I'm like, and, and I mean, they're just looking. And they're eager, man. They're like breathing fast. They're smiling. Some of them are drooling, you know? They're like, where is he? Where is he? They want to piece this guy. One guy had one of these Bam Bam plastic bats. I'm like, Jesus. And I'm standing there, Woody Shoemaker. Statute of limitations has passed on this story, so I can tell you what I've never told anyone before. But I don't expect a raise for this. I'm just throwing this in because I love you. <laughs> Woody, Woody's standing there next to me. He's a retired military guy. He's like a Navy SEAL. He's like, he's trained by the U.S. government to kill you and leave no trace. You know what I mean? So we're standing there together, and I'm going, oh, this is bad. You know, here are all these guys. I'm thinking, man, who let the dogs out here? You know, all these guys are just like going crazy. They're like, where is he? I look over at Woody, and Woody's looking real serious. You know, he's got his game face. He's got his Vietnam look on, you know Look at him like that. He's going like this. And I realize he's trying to get my attention. And I look down and he's packing. So I'm like... So I made a mental note. You know, 
I made a mental note, kind of like my Amish friend who had a mean dog. <laughs> you, you get it? They're pacifists. But if you're a pacifist, you might want to have a really mean dog, a Baptist dog, you know. I made a mental note. I'm like, you know, if I'm ever in a, in a hard way, I might get to Woody first because he's packing. Well, you know, not in a fleshly sense, but in a spiritual sense, men ought to really matter. I mean, does the devil even know who you are? In hell, are you, are you like a, an unknown? Who's he? We've never heard from him. He doesn't matter. We own that guy. We own his wife. We own his kids. We own everybody on his block. We're not worried about him. We don't even give him a time of day. He is nothing. But that's not the way it should be. Because God has given men the wherewithal to take dominion, to make life flourish, and to be a savior where they live, and to be a force. The fourth thing is to be a sage. And for this, you will see this throughout the scripture. But it's beautifully displayed in the book written to young men. And that is the book of Proverbs. Girls are allowed to read this book. But again, you want to kind of translate when you do because it is directed to young men. And that's why, don't feel left out, girls. It's just like when you see it, it says, listen, my son, listen, my son, listen, my son. You don't want to feel bad because it was written directly to them and it has powerful application to you. And that's why, by the way, this is kind of a get out of jail free pass for you too, ladies. Because when you get to Proverbs 31, that's not written to you. That's like depressing, isn't it, for girls? I read that and they go, do you know anybody like this? I mean, somebody's grandma maybe used to be like that, but that's a tough, you know, that's a, you're looking at me real funny now. You give me the quiet, like, I get it. It's because the king, it's because it was given to his son and said, this is the kind of woman that you want to pray for, okay? So just an encouragement there. Anyway, one of the things that's interesting about Proverbs and the first like six to, well, actually the first nine chapters continually imply very clearly that a father has a whole bunch of wisdom and discretion to pass down to his son. Continually says, listen, listen, listen. And by the way, if you're a young guy, let me give you this, a free one tonight. And it, you, you probably today, it seems like tonight to some of you, I'm sure, but it's still today. Uh, I, I, I went to bed early this morning, so I'm kind of thrown off. If you're a young guy this morning and you're listening to me, sometimes you probably think my dad talks a lot. My mom talks a lot. When are they going to listen? And the answer is, you know, to your mom and dad, I would say, listen, 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 listen to them. But the Bible says to you, listen, 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 listen. It's not your job to tell God your parents aren't listening. It's your job to listen to your parents. It's what it says. I'm not being mean. I'm just telling you God's ways. This is God's book. Proverbs, listen, my son. It's like your dad has been around the horn a couple times. He can tell you a few things about life. And you probably ought to listen to him. Even an unbelieving dad is going to have a lot of horse sense. And he's probably going to be inspired to tell you more if he can tell that you admire him and you listen to him. Think about this. We are to grow in wisdom, to grow in discernment, and to teach others. Um, Listen to what your sons... If you think about this, uh, what the kinds of things that your sons should be taught. If it's true that, that, that men are to be lords of the earth, then we want to teach our boys to be aggressive and adventurous. Aggressive, you say, aggressive, yes, aggressive. I mean, read the Great Commission. Does that sound like a, a kind of a, does that sound like an aggressive thing to you? Yes. Why did God give men a spirit of adventure? Why are they like, risk, why do kids go out here with a skateboard and skate off our handrails? Doesn't this seem like a dumb thing to do? You ever seen this? It's amazing what these kids can do. They will like do flips and skate, land on their head, take a picture of it, put it on YouTube. 
Why do guys do stuff like that? Well, it's because they're dumb. That's why. They landed on their heads too many times. But there's something more going on there. And that is that God has given to us a spirit of adventure, a kind of a spirit of... Because he said, go into all the world. Go to the ends of the earth. And by the way, they're not all friendly there. It may be dangerous, but we waste that on stuff that really doesn't matter that much. And so sons need to be trained to be aggressive and adventurous because they're in training to be lords of the earth and to take dominion. They also should pick up their socks and clean their garage and change their oil. We should want them to be patient and hardworking because that's what it takes to make the soil bring forth life. We should want them to hate evil and have a deep desire to fight evil. And they should see a dad who's conquered evil in his own life because they're learning what a weapon feels like in their hands because they are the conquerors. They are the warriors that go out and oppose all that Satan has in mind to do. They're also to be eager to learn and they're to be wise. They're They're to be taught and trained and given instruction. And this is best done while you're doing other things. That's kind of what the Bible says in there to stand before God. And we'll get to that in just a minute. But dads, in different ways, through storytelling, through inspiring their sons. Hey, son, let's, let's see if we can keep the garage clean. And if you do that for a month, I'm taking you to Outback, and we're going to have a man's meal. We're going to put away a thick steak and then waddle out to the car. And that's over with. <laughs> You know, that's the kind of thing that maybe would inspire. We want to go to North Manitou Island. And what I want to see is you treating your mom the way you ought to treat her for a full month and never saying anything to her in a disrespectful manner. And you check me and I'll check you. And if we win on this, we're going to North Manitou Island. If not, you know, it's back to the galley again till next month or something. I don't know. Something that God would use they're to, they're to, that we're to teach. There's, there's a fifth thing and a final thing. And this, and this is the pinnacle of it all. We're to be lords of the earth. What's it, what's it mean to be a man? We're a lord of the earth. We have a jurisdiction. We're a husband. We make life flourish within our jurisdiction. We're a savior. We try to lessen the effects or conquer the effects of sin in our own lives and in the lives of other people. We're a sage. We're a sage. We're to grow in wisdom. The older we get, the more we know God, the more we know about the things of God, and the more obsessed we are with Awana, the more obsessed we are with Sunday school, the more obsessed we are with training our own sons and daughters and grandsons and granddaughters at our feet, the more obsessed we are with passing wisdom along to others. But the pinnacle of it all is really found in, it's alluded to in a number of places, but it's found in 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 7, For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, since or because he is the image and the glory of God. Isn't that interesting? Probably not going to see a sitcom that tells you, hey, treat your dad right. He is the image and the glory of God. And I can tell you that in popular culture. He's just the guy that basically crank out some money, see if you can keep the insurance paid, and be a foil for our humor and try to stay out of the way. He's not getting much respect in our culture. The Bible talks differently about men. The Bible says that man is in a special place with God, that he is to answer directly to God, that he's to take his hat off in the presence of God and stand bareheaded before the glory of God, and that he's to receive the glory of God. What does all that mean? Remember Moses? He went up on the mountain. He met with God. He came down. He glowed. People couldn't look at him. It's like that guy had been with God. Why? Because there was God-ness glowing off of him. And men, the pinnacle of our manhood, 
is not how much we can bench press or how far we can run or how well we can fix cars or how much money that we can make or how many women that we can conquer, God forbid. The pinnacle of our manhood is our intimacy with Jesus. And we go to God and God is on us. And then we go out to our world and people say, that guy has been with God. And the reason I know is because I can see the glow on his face. I can see the qualities of Christ-likeness in that guy's life. And that is our currency in life to do the other stuff here that God said for us to do. You say, how can I be all of that? You, you, you have to be saved first and be in right fellowship with the Lord. And then you have to go daily into the presence of God until the glory of God is on you. Now think about this. If I go daily into the presence of God in moment by moment, intimacy with the Lord, I stay in fellowship with God. I don't let something come between me and God. I don't let anger come between me and God. I don't let lust come between me and God. I don't let pornography come between me and God. I don't let wandering eyes come between me and God. By the way, most guys don't even get beyond that. It's basically they get defeated there and it's like game over. We don't even need to worry about that guy anymore. They don't let greed come between them and God. They don't let anger come between them and God. They keep the way clear so that they have an intimacy and a fellowship with God. And that's, that is when qualities of Christ's likeness begin to, to reflect in their life and their wife sees it over time, and their kids see it, and their neighbors see it, and it is the currency by which they are seen as a person who is wise. Get it? So, in other words, if you want to be a sage, it's kind of go backward now. If you want to be a wise person that's able to teach other people, spend a lot of time in intimacy with the Lord so you're like Him. And then people will say, I want to be around that guy. And they might realize what it is, but it's, it's like Christ in you that they see wisdom in you. And if that's true, then you're going to be the kind of person that's going to be able to deliver people from the effects of sin, which means you lead people to Christ and you help to exhort people to live for the Lord. Then you are a savior. So it goes backward. And if that's true, then what's going to happen? Good things are going to flourish in your life. Good things are going to grow. And if that happens, what have you done? You really have, you really have taken dominion. Is that a cool thing? Exciting to you? To me, when I saw that, I thought, Lord, thank you for that. Because I like being a man. I need a lot of help being the man. But I see it now, the way you've laid it down. I see what it means. Can I ask you guys this? Do you know Jesus Christ in an intimate way? You know your sins are forgiven. You know you're in the faith. You are a believer in Jesus Christ. Because you're not, I mean, I don't want to get you mad at me, but you're not a real man. It's like, not, you're not even a half a man if you're not connected with the one who created you, Jesus. Your manhood, it's not there. You got, you, you know, you're like flexing your muscles and you're beating your head against the wall and you're doing all kinds of manly things that aren't really manly because no man is really manly until he's possessed by Jesus Christ, the man's man of all eternity. And to be a man means you must be in Christ. You must, to, it's like to conquer, you have to yield first. To have life, you have to die first. And so until you're able to do that, you can't do the other wonderful. And I want to tell you that when you do these other things, they are the source of incredible fulfillment and incredible joy. Guys here can tell you that, but that can't be for you until you are a believer. But I know I'm talking to mostly believers, many men here today who are believers. And I would guess that a lot of us are kind of stuck somewhere in this. We're like, man, I see some of that. But to be honest, I've kind of, I dropped the ball a lot. I can't really be described in this kind of a way like this. I, I'm not like a Hulk Hogan. Kind of, I'm kind of like a Barney Fife here, you know. I don't really have that kind of a, that, that kind of a, I'm not going to intimidate anybody. Well, that can change. But what it changes is a renewal of your covenant with God. 
And that has to happen like it would be a great day. Wouldn't Father's Day be a great day to say, God, I'm back and I'm willing to humble myself and admit, I need to make me a man like we're talking about here. A man who takes charge of his jurisdiction in love and inspires his wife and inspires his children to follow God. A man who lovingly just gives of himself and patiently nurtures life out of his jurisdiction. A man who sees sin the way sin is and he keeps it at bay in his own life and in the people that are in his life. A man who has wisdom from God and a man who has intimacy with God. He goes before God with his head uncovered. The glory of God is continually on him and people are always able to see that there's something about God that's in his life. I don't know about you, but to me, that sounds like a pretty exciting thing. It's inspiring to me. And I trust that is a desire that you have. I want to sing something manly before we go home. And ladies, you can join us too, because we love your voices too. I ask Pastor to come and lead us in Lead On, O King Eternal. Let's sing that. Number 617 before we go home. <laughs>